In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three ninety. That's right, ten away from four hundred. Holy crackers! I know. I was listening before, by luck of the draw, as I was making a new folder because I have, a, I have, I keep making folders for or for all the, uh, the raw recordings that we have. Which, which actually, I was thinking about this and as a quick aside. Really, what I should do is I should just download as as a backup backup, download all the actual episodes. <laughs> And now I can get rid of all the raw ones because you really don't need those anymore. Uh, but I have all those folders going back to when we first started, so I, I kind of I just listened ever so briefly to the to the unedited raw recording of when we did episode 170, and it's like that's interesting. <laughs> Long time ago. For sure. So we got a couple of things to talk about before we get into it tonight. Though the main uh, episode is. Going to be about the final issue of the Green Lantern Black Stars three issue miniseries. Um, but before we get into that, we got a couple other things to do. Mark, what are we uh, what are we talking about? Actually, I, I had a f- we have a few quick things. One thing I wanted to talk about, bef- which I didn't tell you about, but it's not anything that's going to be shocking. Uh, Birds of Prey. So when are you seeing Birds of Prey? Um, this weekend, I think. I think I'm going to go see it this weekend. Uh, I don't know precisely when, but I am uh, stoked to go see it. I, I'm not like you know like chomping at the bit, but I I feel like I'm going to have fun. Yeah, I'm go- I, I'm going in. I think that I think I'm trying to remember if that was um actually I could tell you real quick because a piece of paper I'm going to need I'm using for something else. Uh, no, yeah, Bird, monk, uh, Birds of Prey was on my monkey crap list. Uh, I'm going to see that. Nine o'clock tomorrow night, and the thing that I find interesting is, you know, the box office projections for this so far, like somewhere like maybe you know 50, 50, 55 million, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence suggesting that there's not a whole lot of pre-sales for this movie so far, and I looked, I looked at my local theater, and I've, I've been looking at it for the last few days, but I noticed today, which was interesting that they added in a bunch of other showings, which I don't quite understand why, because it's certainly not demand-driven. But before today, there had only been two showings available, 6 o'clock, which was, a, which was horrible, a horrible time to have to go to on a Thursday night, unless it's like a big event movie. Thir- people are not going to be making it to a 6 o'clock. And a 9 o'clock, so that's why I'm going to the 9 o'clock tomorrow. But they add, So they, they added in six more showings today, filling in the gaps. And the interesting thing is, as of as of 7:45 this evening, a grand total of 25 tickets were sold for all eight of those showings, with 13 of them being in the theater that I'm in for the nine o'clock. So I find, and it's 
it's interesting. I I don't know why they I don't know why they added so many shows because I find it hard to believe there's this expected groundswell of last minute people going to see it when there's been no pre-sales for it at least in our theater. But we'll see. I'll be curious to see what it does. Uh, I know the re- the early Rotten Tomato score, which I don't necessarily hold that high, uh, put in high regard, um, high esteem. I don't. It's doing well so far. I don't know if that's going to have an influence. Comic book movies t- tend to be a little more in sync. Fans and the critics tend to be a little more in sync on average than other movies. But since we've seen so many movies recently in which one one or the other is completely off the rail. Where the critic score is really high, or the and the fans hate it, and the fan, you know, or the the critics hate it, but the fans love it. It's hard to know. Plus, even if fans like it, it doesn't mean that there's a huge demand for people to want to go see it. You know, everybody that goes see it to see it might like it, but it doesn't mean it's still going to do great bank if people just don't have an interest to go see the movie. So I will be curious to see how this does. I still don't think any of the material that we've seen. If you were on the fence about this, I don't think anything that we've seen would push you over the. You know, make you, yes, I need to go see this. I want to go see this. So, um, but again, going in with a blank slate. But I was, I, I just wanted to mention that real quick since I know it's opening. I figured you were, as we're recording this, it's opening uh, tomorrow. Since we've, this is like the third, like the third time we've recorded like in the last eight, eight days. <laughs> it's hard to keep things straight. But I'll be, I'll be curious to see how, how I like it. But I'm also going to be curious to see how it actually does, whether it, it falls into the expected range or whether it's going to un- underperform and, let's say, do worse than Shazam. So so, so that was one thing. Uh, the other thing was, so did you watch both of those trailers? I did. Okay. So let's talk about, and, and the interesting thing is, both of these, pretty much two of my, two of my uh, top movies here, uh, uh, Fast 9 and officially confirmed uh, that the Saw spinoff is titled Spiral, you know, from the Book of Saw. Both those trailers dropped in the last, like, six days. And Chad obviously has very limited ties to either one of these franchises. But I'm curious... But from an objectivity perspective, I'm curious to see what he thinks of both. But let's start with... Let's start with Saw, with Spiral, and as a trailer, because that's all you can... Because the only one you said you think you saw was three, right? Yeah. So as a... Just overall as a trailer... How do you think it? How do you think it was? But how do you think it did? It looks completely different from a Saw movie, uh, from what I expect from a Saw movie. Uh, I I think of Saw movies as just like uh, uh, suspense gore fests, essentially. Uh, and this was like a, almost like a thriller uh, sort of a thing. Uh, seemed interesting. I when I saw it, I was like, "Is that Chris Rock?" And I was like, I kept I kept like thinking about it again and again, I was just like, it's, no, it, wait, huh? And you hear the voice, and it's like, yeah, that's, is it? yeah, I guess so. Uh, and then I started thinking, when the hell was Chris Rock last in anything? Um, so, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, this one looks like, I'm not going to say I'm going to go see it, but I watched that trailer, and I was like, well, this is not what I expected from a Saw movie until that final shot. Uh, and, and, but I was like, I might end up seeing this. So, uh, and it might, it might be like something like somebody else wants to go see it. And I was like, yeah, I tag along. Whereas like, a you know, another, another, uh, just like general sort of saw movie, what, what you expect out of a saw movie. 
I'd probably be like, nah, I'll pass. You guys go have fun. I think that it's six. I would agree with you that it looks. I like. I think the thing that this trailer, both the one, one of the reasons, the other reason, the subtext behind why I wanted to talk about both these trailers is because obviously there are entirely different kind of trailers. One's like completely in your face, probably showing you too much, and one's the opposite. And this is the one we're talking about is the opposite. That. But they're both well-done trailers in, in different styles, and compared to a lot of other franchises that we've seen lately that just can't seem to get out of their own way and make a trailer that really works, like Star Wars as an example, which used to be a no-brainer that, they, that their trailers were going to be great, and, they, and that you know the, the Rise of Skywalker was just a horrible campaign for trailers, a textbook of what not to do when you're trying to get your audience pumped to go see something. But I like the way this, ta- this trailer is structured I really like because it's a slow build. If you didn't already know, if you didn't already know as soon as you see, you know, the lion, you know, even before, like, the Twisted Pictures things comes on. But if you didn't know Chris Rock was involved in the next Saw movie, and you were just watching it play out in the beginning, you'd have no idea where this was going. And then it slowly starts amping up. As the trailer goes on, you get more and more of the Saw music, and it starts amping it up. Then, obviously, you don't really see any real... any saw traps until the very very end, and it's really quick. Other than when you see Chris Rock, you know, t- you know, handcuffed with a very familiar, you know, not particularly sharp axe saw in his hand. That I think, as some people pointed out, it kind of works. It gives you like that seven vibe, that kind of movie. That that's that's the kind of vibe it gives you more than a straight up saw movie. But yet they give you ties in, you know. Well, obviously these the title spiral comes from the. From the you know the pattern on Billy the puppet, that's obviously what what why where they got the spiral from, and there's a hint of a puppet, though it didn't look like Billy in that one scene all the way down. Now for me as a Saw guy, what I'm curious about because we've heard repeatedly about this movie that it's not a re- reboot, which I thought was funny because I saw that I, I was on the Variety page like about 10 minutes before we started recording, and it said like Saw reboot trailer premieres and it's like it's not supposed to be a reboot <laughs> if it's in continuity if it's a if it takes place in the same universe where all the other events happened that's not a reboot you could kind of say it's a soft reboot and mix the language but a reboot means you're starting completely over again but what I'm curious about if that's all accurate that it's not a real reboot I want to know as a Saw guy how this is going to tie into the other movies that we saw no pun intended Using saw <laughs> that way, I want to know how it ties into the other, to John Kramer, any of the other people that we've seen. How how is it going to tie in, and and what's the relationship going to be? And I think to me, that's going to that may very well that's going to go a long way whether I like them how much I like the movie when I see it. But as a trailer, I liked it. I think it certainly put a lot of people at ease who when they heard. That uh, Chris Rock was involved in this movie, same way when Danny McBride and Gordon Green were involved with Halloween 2018, that a lot of people were a little concerned about how they would handle horror and how whether how you know how straight up horror it would be and whether they'd be they try to be too too funny in it and, or just maybe an appropriate level of humor. I think Halloween 2018 people had more confidence they weren't gonna they weren't gonna go over the top with 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 the humor. This one I you know. Even though Chris Rock reassured people, you know, this wasn't going to be a scary movie, I think this trailer does a very good job at making it clear that, you know, this is not, you know, he's playing a dramatic part. There's going to be some funny parts because it's Chris Rock and to lighten some humor to lighten, you know, the mood. 
but it's going to be a Saw movie. And I think that's... So I think as, as a trailer, I think this was very successful, and I think a lot of people were surprised how good the trailer was, which is what a trailer's supposed to do. It tells you about the project, makes you interested about the project. And, and yeah, so I think... I was pleasantly surprised. I was surprised it dropped today, but I was pleasantly surprised how good it was. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, when it started up, I was like, did I did I click on the wrong trailer? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally a slow burn, but again, to me, that's one of the reasons why that trailer works well is because it slowly starts creeping, it's amping everything up, and then you realize, you know, at, at the end, I mean, again, if you... You saw that you know that Lionsgate or whatever in the twisted pictures, and then once you start hearing the beats of the music, then it starts becoming clearer. If you didn't already know, I mean, I obviously I would have known even if I didn't, if I just saw this in a theater for the first time, without knowing I was clicking on a link to see it, I would have known what this movie was as soon as I saw Chris, as soon as I saw any of that stuff, and I saw Chris Rock. It's like, oh, this is just, this is going to be the Saw trailer. So I think it was I think it was very successful. Now, switching gears completely to another franchise you don't have you have very little involvement in, which kind of made the impact of that trailer probably even less. But as a trailer, again, judging it just as a trailer, what did you think of the F9 trailer that dropped on Friday? Why in the holy hell was it four minutes long? Yeah, it wasn't really yeah, – it's definitely not – and on any level, it's not a teaser. Not based, mm. based on what's in the movie and uh, in the trailer and the length of it. It is, it is very – long i but go ahead go on i don't want to cut you off (laughs) it it was was way too long um and uh i was going into it with some preconceived notions because i'd seen a couple of uh friends on facebook post various things and one of them said and i believe i'm quoting here wow the fast nine movie looks like hot garbage (laughs) um so uh you know i was going into it with like oh this is not going to be good so so much obvious CGI and uh, you know physically impossible things happening in there, uh, like you know the bridge, the rope bridge collapsing and driving up of it. Still, uh, that's not physically possible. Uh, whatever. Um, but like, uh, it's just like when you, when you have the context of the Fast and the Furious franchise that I have. When it's, I've only seen like the first three movies, three or four movies. Like, when the hell did it become where, like, almost like super spies? Five. Sort of a thing. Pretty much five. You know? Five was so, a, five was the beginning of that. So it's just like, you know, I just, it, it, it's not appealing. It's, it's formulaic. It's, it's a popcorn action flick. And there's almost like no, there's no substance to it. You can tell watching it, there's no substance to it. The only thing you're going to get out of this is just more info about Dom and his family and his background. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. Uh, it, the, the trailer was too long. It's very formulaic looking. It's very CGI heavy. It's very physical impossibility stuff. Uh, it's, it's like Expendables at this point. And I was like, and here's this guy. And in this case, it's John Cena. So it's just like, who cares? Well, I disagree. I respect that opinion. (laughs) (laughs) But we have different investments in this franchise. As I said, as I said to a a couple of people this, this week, and I think I, and I think I, actually, I think I said it to Ryan, that if you had, if you had told me, like, either 10 years ago or even further back that, you know, in, in 
in 2019, if 2019 comes 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 to a close, you're going to have more interest in the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise than the ninth episode of Star Wars. I would have laughed in your face and taken that bet in a heartbeat. But yet, that is that's exactly as we were rolling and heading into Rise of Skywalker and having that having had that movie come and go. Yeah, even and this is even without The Rock being in Part Nine. I am more inter- I definitely have more of an interest to see Fast and Furious than I did to see Star Wars, which tells you. Some would say it says a lot about me. I would like. I I think it says more about where Star Wars is. But I I liked it. It gave away too much. It gave away. I mean, of course, you don't know how many more trailers they're going to have for this movie. They may only, maybe they're only going to maybe they're only planning on having one more big trailer. But obviously, for most people. The two big, the reveal of who John Car- John Cena's character was, and of course the Han stuff at the end, which they probably, at the very least, they could have held that to the second trailer. They could have hinted at it in this trailer. They could have hinted, and and in a way, the hint was already there, which it's really easy to gloss over in the in the beginning when they're talking about you know the rocket engine, you know, attached that you if you slow it down and you watch it, you realize that the, that the two guys they're talking to. Tyrese and Ludacris are the guys from uh, Tokyo Drift. So when you realize that, then it kind of makes then the then you're almost there, automatically opening the door for uh, for the return of Han, which people are were really excited about. And I'm excited. I like Han. I I've watched I watched this series horribly out of order because again I didn't get into it. I saw the, the fourth movie after the, the franchise really got reboot when it kind of got rebooted. With four, which is when they brought Paul Walker and and uh, Vin Diesel back together, I watched that on HBO out of curiosity. Uh, I think that was, and I had only seen bits and pieces of, of the any of the other ones before. Then of course I got into it when part five going forward when The Rock was added to it. So I've seen every one since five in the theater, and since now and now since then I've gone back to see one, two, and three completely in its entirety. But I I like Han. I like Han as a character. Justin Lin obviously. And, that, that Han character technically was created in an, uh, I forget which movie he did, but it was in another movie before Fast and Furious, and then he brought that character into Tokyo Drift. So it made sense that Justin Lin, who was coming back to direct, you know, the final Fast and Furious movies, he would bring. It would make sense that Han would come back too. It opens the door, obviously, for more for people looking to how they're going to reconcile Jason Statham's character, who was technically responsible, we were led to believe, for killing Han. How you know how he was being accepted in the family and how that's going to work and how can we really accept him in because of what he did? Obviously, we'll get some background on that, but it makes it much easier now that we know that he didn't actually kill Han. <laughs> I'm interested in it. Yes, it's long it's long gone past the realm of you know realistic possibilities with the law of physics and things. Five started that, but five wasn't so bad. I think once you got to six, once you got to six and it started really going off the rails, and seven and eight were nuts. So I think people have kind of just accepted that, you know, that's just not, you're not. That's not what you're going for. You're not going for the reality anymore. You're just going for the action and the story. And since it has become like a spot, like you said, it's like a spot. It's more like a spy thing now. It's it's so it's that's kind of exactly what uh what what basically what Bad Boys for Life kind of was setting up in the way they were setting up something like that too, their own team. So, so if they do make another one, it wouldn't just necessarily just be Martin Lawrence 
and, and Will Smith that they basically had that little team they put together in the last movie that that would you would assume continue on that that's kind of what the Fast and Furious has become but you're right it's like the Expendables because it's a team but it's not like they keep bringing in necessarily they do they do tend to bring one person in but usually the pattern lately has been one person's a bad guy and then eventually they kind of get redeemed at least, other than Charlize Theron who at least for two movies in a row looks like she's going to be the bad guy <laughs> the bad bad guy I mean, at this point, they might as well just make the Triple X franchise a Dom prequel. The only see, I the only Triple X I ever watched was the, when they brought him back. Was, was the second one? The second one that uh, Vin Diesel was in. I never never saw the first one, and I never saw the one with uh, Ice Ice Cube. I did watch the uh, the Return of Xander Cage. I think I watched that on Amazon Prime. But I know I know what you're saying. It is they, they kind of they it's kind of it's kind of stretched so far into the James Bond ish. I mean the war like the worst part the if in quotes the worst James Bond ish like like the Roger Moore James Bond time which which I like because I grew up in that era that was my Bond you know growing up. But I get it you know I I, under, I understand why some people just roll their eyes and look at this but but they do a but they do a good job at but on the on the basic level of making people talk about your trailer and putting it out there and make and bringing it making it be a, a point of conversation i think that trailer absolutely was a success, success even if they didn't put the han stuff in the john cena stuff would have gotten people talking and trying to figure that out but the fact that they throw the han stuff in then everybody's trying to figure out what that means and how it, and so i think yes they could have revealed less the trailer could have been a little shorter but i think on a different level than saw I think it's for me it succeeds, and I think it's so. All right. Well, before we get into the issue, uh, I did mention uh, either last episode or the episode last. before. I think it was. I think uh, it was last. About the uh, the new uh, figure line that is coming out that has uh, Nightfall Batman, Nightfall Catwoman, and then there's also a Green Lantern Hal Jordan and a Yellow Lantern Sinestro. I ended up getting the Yellow Lantern Sinestro. I've got it right here in my hands. Uh, it's DC Essentials Yellow Lantern Sinestro from DC Collectibles, uh, direct from the source. Um, this retails at about $28, uh, and it is just a figure. There's no accessories, no anything like that. Um, I like it. Um, I don't know that I will continue buying uh, the from this line if we continue to get packages that are just the figure um i really like this figure i like the face sculpt and everything on it i like the paint job uh i like you know it's it's a very well done detailed figure just like you would expect from dc uh dc uh, DC collectibles which is you know formerly dc direct and all that just like you'd expect but without accessories without like a power battery and a cool stand and like you know so on and so forth is this really worth 28 dollars no, especially when you compare it to. So we all know, or if if you follow toys, uh, and and Mark Mark does, Jim does, maybe they'll mention it on a toy episode, or maybe you guys already have. Uh, the license for like the DC Multiverse stuff has moved over to McFarland Toys, uh, and McFarland is starting to put out these DC Multiverse figures, um, and there's lots of different ones. It looks like this wave has the animated Batman. Uh, the Hellbat suit Batman, Harley Quinn, the animated Superman, and the Unchained Armor Superman. 
this wave that I'm looking at here. And uh, this uh, this other figure that I have that's a part of this wave is the Justice League animated series Green Lantern figure. And it's a bigger figure in terms – is it bigger? Uh, yeah, it's about maybe an inch or two taller than uh, the the figure that I have for Sinestro, this John Stewart figure. Uh, and it comes with this construct cannon thing that you can fit around his – his wrist, and it comes with a little um, construct uh, um, visor thing that you could pop over, I guess, for targeting. And it comes with a little sort of uh, collectible card, uh, a, yeah, a, a little uh, collector's card, um, a yeah, collectible trading card. So, and this was twenty bucks at Walmart. So a bigger figure. Great detail, accessories, comes with a little trading card, cool new packaging, uh, and, 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 all of, and all of this is essentially 10 bucks less than this other little detailed figure that has no accessories. Now, I believe DC Direct, or, or rather DC Collectibles, is going to be doing other figures down the line. Obviously they will be, but like uh, one of them I believe is like the, the, zombie, um, the zombie Green Lantern from DC East. Uh, depending on how that looks in person, I may or may not get that. I'm leaning towards no, just because it's essentially a Green Lantern figure with, you know, a scowl on its face and blood on it from what I can see. But again, that's an in-person call. I think from now on, unless it's like a really unique figure, I'm, I'm not getting these anymore because 10 bucks more for just a plain figure by itself, uh, that's, that's not really worth it. Um, now let's say DC, the deceased wave continues and we get Green Lantern Black Canary. Obviously I'm going to get that because first of all, I thought that was a cool move, at least within that story. And second of all, that's a figure we've never had before. Uh, so why wouldn't I want that? Um, but other than that, I, you know, if it's something that's already exists before or, or, or just as, you know, a popular character, another take or whatever, I don't think it really matters. I think I'm sticking with these McFarlane Toys DC Multiverse figures for price point and, and, and design and accessories and all that. Uh, he also uh, has been putting out – uh, there's a wave that has, I believe, Batman, Nightwing, and Batgirl. And the Batgirl is based on the new design that Sean Gordon Murphy came up with. And if you listen to the show, you know I've mentioned Sean quite a lot. I really like his artwork and in, in all the stuff he's done in comics for the most part. Um, so I'm definitely going to try. Uh, actually, when I bought this figure, and I bought this figure tonight as we record this, uh, which is Wednesday, February 5th. But um, uh, I bought it tonight, but I went to Walmart with the intent of getting the Batgirl. It wasn't there, but this just John Stewart Green Lantern figure was. So I was like, oh, I, well, I guess serendipitous. I will go ahead and buy that. Um but uh, yeah, the, I think the I think the McFarlane Toys DC Multiverse figures, as long as they start coming out with stuff that's uh, unique and interesting and and just cool designs and things like that, I think I'll just be switching over to these rather than the DC collectibles. And like I said, unless the DC collectibles does something, I'm really not going to get elsewhere or that we've never gotten before. I can understand that. I think part of the reason why I have I haven't got I can't tell you the last time I actually bought a Green Lantern figure. Uh, I'm trying to remember which off the top of my head what it Did was. Did you not get Kyle Rayner or, or Jessica Cruz? No. No, actually. By uh, the way, that Jessica 
Cruises going aftermarket for like seventy dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think I made a concerted. I should have probably made a concerted effort to get to get Jessica. Uh, but I'm trying to actually also not to slow us down much. I'm trying to remember actually the last Green Lantern figure that I actually bought, and I can't tell you what it is. Uh, I agree on the DC on the DC Hal Jordan. It just looks like your old the old classics figure they were using for the like the. Uh, for Hal Jordan, and they were actually looks like just it actually just looks like the Mattel line figure, and they just with, with a different paint job, pretty much. That's that's kind of like the quality, which isn't a bad quality, but not for twenty four, you know, not for like twenty eight bucks if you're getting it at full price. Uh, the McFarlane stuff would make sense. We we know McFarlane toys have always had great detail, great detail, so I think that that would make sense. There are still some things DC, you know, DC collectibles. Uh, could put out that I'd be interested in, but I, but I was even looking at the essential cyborg Superman figure, and that's that, and that figure sucks compared to the. Uh, I think we've got mu- bunch of previous cyborg Superman figures were better, especially the one when they had in the, uh, and they when they had the whole the whole uh, death and return of Superman wave when they they were just all Superman figures when they had a case of those, which I think was. My God! Now it's getting. It's probably like that's over. Like, I think that's over like 15 years ago now when they did that wave. But that's when you had black suits. You had black suits, Superman and the Eradicator and and Superboy, Steel and Doomsday. And it, it was like a whole case of those figures. And that cy that cyborg Superman is great. I still think that's the. I still think that's the best cyborg Superman they ever did. But it's. Yeah, it just seems like the quality of the DC stuff is just not, figure-wise, doesn't seem it's that special right now. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, if you guys are on the fence about uh, either of these, like, if you were if you were thinking about either getting Hal or Sinestro from the DC Essentials, get Sinestro, for sure. I don't think Hal is that much to write home about, but the face sculpt, the, the and Mark and I talked about this a bit off-air, the size of his forehead, his ears are a little bit more elf-like, you know, in terms of, like, pointy. He's got this cool kind of grin on his face as opposed to a scowl. He's got more, like, pink skin as opposed to the deep purple slash magenta skin that, like, the uh, the OG Green Lantern wave based on uh, Van Skyver's design has. Uh, he's a little more built as opposed to lanky, you know, so... Um, it's just, it's just slight, a, a slightly different Sinestro, uh, and I like it enough. It actually reminds me sort of, of the Sinestro series towards the end of that series. That's true. Um, that's what it, the design reminds me of. It looks like it stepped off those pages of the final issues of the Sinestro series. So I, that's part, that's the main reason I got it. Um, plus it's just cool to have another Sinestro course, uh, figure, um, even even like you know one that I may end up taking out of the box because I'm not going to take the the OG uh, Van Skyver design one out of the box, but uh, this one I may you know at some point down the line. Right now, all of my stuff I just uh, that I buy the new stuff that I buy, I just you know put a tack on the wall and and hang it off the the tack on the on the whatever you call that thing. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, th- I just wanted to bring that up since last episode, I did mention that those figures are out. And now that I have one in my hand and was also able to, to just tonight acquire this John Stewart multiverse figure, uh, just comparing, you know, the value, what you get, you know, the quality and everything. Uh, I, th- I think you might guys might be better off unless again, unless a specific design, 
uh, or sculpt um, attracts you uh, in in a in right in the feels. Uh, I would say go with the McFarlane Multiverse toys over the DC collectible stuff for now. That would seem like to be a seem on the surface to be a good investment at the moment. I would agree. All right. Uh, so Green Lantern Black Stars number three, the final issue of this miniseries before we get Green Lantern season two, which it does indeed now say season two on the covers. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> Aren't we lucky? Uh, all right. So let's let's just ju- let's dive into this. I, I'm going to try to be as I'm going to try to walk the line as as I have tried to do lately with the with the brevity and but yet not skipping over major details if possible. As a as a as a disclaimer, this is only the second time I've re- read this issue, with the first being last night. So <laughs> so if I need help, I'll I'll throw out the you can throw me the life preserver if I need to. <laughs> and when you read this, you do want <laughs> this whole arc makes you want to be be saved to, to a certain extent. So part three of this is called The Heart of Emptiness. How appropriate. <laughs> uh, Grant Morrison, writer. Zermonico, the artist. Uh, Steve Olaf, colorist. Steve Wan's letterer, Liam Sharp, did the cover. Derek Robertson and Diego Rodriguez did the variant cover. Jessica Burby, assistant editor. Jessica Chan, associate editor. Brian Cunningham, editor. So for those who do remember, where we left off last episode, when we talked about this uh, this book, the last issue of this series, we had the reveal because of Superman. Superman had told Hal about it. You basically you mess around with my son one more time, they'll come after you. So of course we had the reveal of Hal, kind of like having uh, John have John Kent there and uh, basically be ready to join the Dark Stars and Superman being the man of his word. <laughs> Was 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 flying was coming in hot at the end of last issue, and that's exactly where we pick off. We pick up. Uh, we see Superman's clearly not by himself. A cavalcade, cavalcade of uh, superheroes that he's bringing with him. What Power Girl, Fire, your boy Firestorm, Captain Atom, Cyborg. Uh, you, there's lots. There's lots of people there. Firestar too, right? Right in the cover. Uh, a lot of Titans. Starfire. Starfire. You're right. I I, I have my Spider-Man on the. His amazing friends in my brain. Uh, wait, wait, that's the Adam, right? The the like the the Golden Age one. What's what's his? Isn't that, the, with the that's Captain Adam, isn't it? Isn't it? No, Captain no, no, Adam? no. I'm t- no, but I'm talking about behind behind uh, Shazam. Oh, hold on, I got this thing in my way. Uh, the big the big dude. Oh, uh, that's is that is that the original? I I kind of forgot who he was. Cause that's, cause it's but it's just like so so like big big view front and center Superman, uh, Starfire, Captain Atom, Power Girl, and then slightly smaller we've got Amazo, Shazam, Supergirl, Cyborg, Firestorm, and then there's Adam. But then just like shoved in a tiny little corner is freaking Martian Manhunter. Like if you're talking like hey we got some heavy hitters is that a hold on, uh, Captain Adam's right fist is that a rocket red it might be it might I be i think that's a freaking rocket red because there there definitely there's a lot of uh 
There's just a lot of people on this splash on this ha- yeah. half a splash page, if you will. Yeah, Mazo is interesting, along with the you know with the Marvel family and everything else. So, so Superman's basically bringing in the cavalry. Uh, Hal's telling Belzebeth pretty much exactly the recap that I just gave. Hey, Superman warned me if I recruited his boy, he'd declare war on the Dark Stars. And guess what? Here he comes. So Hal's clearly playing both sides against the middle in this issue, which we kind of saw the beginnings of last. So now we have a really we have a really cool splash page of the of the Black Stars engaging the superheroes. Belzebeth doesn't seem overly concerned. I like the way she says their unpredictable superpowers make for tiresome adversaries, which we you would think would kind of be it's contradictory in nature that if their the powers are unpredictable, then you, how tiresome would they be? But so she she Lobo is in here too, by the way. Lobo. Yeah, oh yeah, I see him uh, now. He's on the splash page. Yeah, classic, yeah. classic Lobo. Uh, not none of this new fifty two crappy Lobo. So she organizes, you know, the Meadow Squadron and, you know, Overmasters 3 through 500, yada yada. Super, Superman breaks in, you know, looking for looking for his son. And we end up having this confrontation between John and Superman, which is not just a father-son confrontation. It seems like it's your your generational confrontation between the old generation and the new and the new generation. Uh, John saying, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want the keys to the car, Dad. So, so while they, while they, you know, while John and Superman are duking it out, and mind you, duking it, it's not necessarily accurate because Superman is. We also find out there's a reason, probably, why Superman isn't doing as much as maybe he could to try to suppress John. But he's really not trying to. He's tr- he's clearly not trying to hurt John, while John is really not holding back against against his father. Uh, the the battle between you know the battle between the dark stars, the black stars, excuse me, and the superheroes. We kind of they kind of they kind of watch what's going on with Superman and John, and then what is it? Is this supposed to be a Sun Eater that pops up? Because she mentions the fact that because part of the subtext of this is Belzebeth Belzebeth excuse me reveals that super part of the reason why Superman's relatively ineffective here is because she's been draining the power from the from our son. So he's losing yeah. his power. So I'm assuming this is a Sun Eater. Uh, it just doesn't... just kind of... It's it's so amorphous that it's kind of hard, but we assume every logical reason to believe that it's a Sun Eater, which ends up grabbing Superman, by the way, and, and, and pulls him down, and Superman pretty much buys it, and that and that pretty much leads to the, to the uh, Black Stars taking over Earth, and the majority of Earth, pr- pretty much, they just you know they just go along with it, except, except for like this ragtag coalition of rebels led, led by the people who just don't bow down to anybody, which basically is a whole bunch of villains and Batman, <laughs> and and it looks like Aquaman, right? Based on what yeah, you can Aquaman's see, yeah, Aquaman's in there, Catwoman's in there, Solid so I guess Grundy. It's, yeah, but mostly bad uh, guys. Who is that to Grundy's left? Oh, that's Sinestro. No. Yeah, that's definitely Sinestro. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You're saying to his left, and I'm looking to my left. You were correct. That, yes, that's supposed to be pa- like par- like a like parallax Sinestro. I think. I yeah. think you were correct. Uh, and it looks like uh, Vandal Savage. Uh, who's to, who's to uh, the left? Our left of Grundy is that like Cobra or something? It's it's. Like, that's probably Cobra, and to to his right is. Uh, Razagul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so basically, yeah. so basically, these are the group. These are the group of people that I guess are the, the freedom, basically the, the freedom fighters and everything else. Hal and Be- and Beelzebeth have their conversation, and Hal's going, "Hey, you know, you're mad at me. I get it. You know, but I am you, and you are mu. We are mu together. Oh God, <laughs> just freaking shoot me, Jack. <laughs> I'm mute out, baby. Uh, <clears throat> and it's and it's interesting. We saw glimmers of this in the last issue, where Hal's starting to realize that he's having kind of these visions of the way things used to be, and he's starting to realize that th- you know that this isn't the o- this isn't the only reality that he's ever known. It's like I made a wish in Mew's name that the other world, the world I dream of, ceased to exist. It's like you know, and basically the, the miracle machine rewrote it or did it. And of course, all this time she has a Belzebeth has her Hal's Green Lantern ring on, and of course we hear. We hear, which I assume is the ring, right? Talking to Hal, that mm-hmm. she's not listening, Lantern Jordan, but I am. Time to remember. <laughs> how did how did you feel about the whole Mongol torture scene? Because it's kind of hard to feel overly sorry for Mongol because he's such a piece of crap. <laughs> Speaking of saw, this is like a Belzebub saw trap. <laughs> Just pretty much. Re- He's being reprimanded for you know for he, for him lashing out I think in the last episode and he basically gets rip, he gets ripped apart which is pretty is pretty disgusting and we still have what the the inversions the inversions that are still being held in check by Belzebeth basically they want to be freed and she's using them as weapons to uh, basically she's using them and letting them do what they what they can do but under her command and when she's ready we see Hal meeting with a bunch of black stars and Hal kind of like is you know he's pointing out that hey you know Moo's not really talking talking through me if he ever was talking through Belzebeth he's not really doing that now either that basically we can basically we can we can control what's going on it's up to us with our will we can whatever we can imagine we can make it true and make it real and while they're basically having this little (laughs) subversive meeting uh, Belzebeth shows up with her, you know, with her inner circle. Who is that supposed to be? Atrocitus. Where? To her left. Cause that's not Kilowog, right? Cause Kilowog's in the meeting, right? Isn't Kilowog in the in the in the meeting of of the Black Stars thinking about revolting? I thought Kilowog. Yeah, that's Atrocitus. Yeah. Which would... And there's Blees back there. Hold on, I got I got to get my page back. Yeah, you're right. That is Blees. Um. Yeah, I thought that was atrocity. He just looks so weird. Uh, he atrocitus looks really weird in general. Whenever he, when, whenever he doesn't have like that uh, armor behind his head going over his yeah. head, it just it, uh, well he kind of he kind of does. It's 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 hard to make out. I see some of it. Dead. I know what you mean, but does he have it in the back? I'd have to see a different panel to see if it shows. Yeah. Uh, but even when they showed him like as a blue lantern or whatever in that in that vision, it just we we see him. We see him quite often um, looking different to me, anyway. So at the, at this point, that uh, Hal and Belzebeth basically are, are are trying to, they're both kind of pleading their cases. You know, it's like a, it's like a, you, this is a kind of like with debate with the Sinestro Corps and things like that. It's like that kind of philosophical debate. It's like you know, Hal saying it's a peace you can't enforce without violence, you know, loyalty you can't inspire without punishment and torture. And she points out, well, how is that different from the armed justice administered by your lost guardians, your lanterns? And that kind of was on one level of uh, a Freudian slip or a, 
at least from Hal's perspective, because of the fact that that's reinforcing to Hal that that they really did exist, and she kind of points out, oh yeah, they existed, but you wished them into oblivion, you know, with the wish machine and, and all and all this stuff, and then and we end up we end up with this battle between you know the the, the inversions and and uh, Belzebeth's enforcers and and Hal's group of black of dark stars black stars, excuse me, many of whom were were like green. Green Lanterns in our time. I think John Stewart was there. I think Jessica Cruz is there. Kilowog. Of course, almost all of them are getting like wiped out pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, so as you know, as this, this, this continues. You know, pretty much all Hal's group, Hal's group gets wiped out. They they come back. You know, to the to the Miracle Machine. Between the confrontation with Belzebeth and Hal being there, and Hal pretty much realizes at this point because he's, been, I think, I think the ring has kind of been deprogramming him at this time, uh, and kind of helping lift the veil. But Hal, you know, Hal remembers who he is, and he remember, you know, that he, you know he's not, my name's not Parallax. I'm Hal Jordan, Green Lantern of Sector Twenty Eight One Four Point One, and it's like uh, Green Lanterns, there's no such things. It's like, so tell me, why are you wearing a Green Lantern ring? It's like, uh, Moo kept that ring close. It's the key to activating the miracle machine, the trigger. And she goes, oh, it's nothing, a memento of a dead universe. Which kind of, for some reason, reminded me of that scene in Zero Hour when when Hal took picked up Alan's ring instead of crushing it. He, but it kind of looked like he was going to step on it, which might have been too much of a dead giveaway that it was parallax. Uh, but when he picked it up, he said something very, very similar to, like, it's a, uh, you know, memo of a you know of a time gone by or a, or a dead unit you know so how how pretty much realizes at this point you know she you know she she lays into him and, and hurts him but she she really can't she can't stop him and how remembers at this point which i thought was one of the nice nicest twists in this issue was that how that how never wiped out our reality all Hal pretty much did was he fa- he found a a universe and a multiverse that was dead, and he created Moo's dream verse, if you will, in that dead in that dead universe. So he his his slash our universe still completely exists. So they all exist in this, Earth fifteen. Yes, Earth fifteen. They all exist in this place, but our but but nothing was altered in our reality, and everything still exists there as it was before. So Hal and Belzebeth go at it. You know, she she starts you know laying laying into him pretty good, and then we find then you know but, you know before Hal's about to get completely wiped out here, all of a sudden we see you know this huge ship in the hovering above her, and all these other warships come in, and we hear Moo is the controller, Moo is in every Overmaster computer, and you must be taught respect. And she, and she realizes, of course, and because Hal kind of Hal takes himself out of this universe and essentially closes the door behind it, because we know that's going to work. But he does that and leaves her trapped there to deal with, you know, the wrath of Moo. <laughs> and that pretty and Superboy. What? And Superboy. And Superboy, yes. But she, but she, but she really lays into Superboy, though. Yeah. Yeah. She 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 lays into she lays into Superboy into Superboy pretty well. Uh. But yes, but and to be fair, a lot of the other things. I mean, a lot of the other creatures that have been created, and a lot of the other black stars are still probably here, and some of our enforcers and everything else. It's just, it's just the characters that got killed clearly are dead. But the whole world, the universe, if you will, that the status quo that Hal created 
is still there. He just sealed it off into Earth 15s and left it behind, which is uh, yeah. how I don't know how satisfying an ending that is on some level, but at least it gives us some substance where it's not like oh it was just a dream and it's over. I like the art, especially now that we get more DC Universe characters in here and we're not just stuck with uh, the Black Star's design all throughout. We can get to see this artist do different interpretations of classic characters and how he does uh, his style as opposed to just seeing Black Stars on every page. So that's cool to see. It's not like you couldn't tell he was a good artist from like backgrounds and other things, but now that you get to see more than just you know characters in Black Star outfits, it's nice to see that. Like, you know, how he does Starfire's hair or how he does the wrinkles in Superman's cape, you know, that sort of thing. That's all very cool and well done. Um, panel layouts are pretty cool. Uh, story, I mean, story overall was well told. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was cool. I just still don't know why we needed this. Well, we know why we really needed it because he's gonna, because, because by the end of season, "Quote unquote season two. I'm sure Moo and Belzebeth are going to be back. <laughs> yeah. That. So I. So I. Overall, I agree with you, but it's less of a waste of time because of that twist that it was created in another universe, and it wasn't overwriting our reality. And then Hal rewrites it again to fix everything. That I. Yeah. So if if there's the uh, you know actually keep talking. I'll find it no. before I start talking. All right. Uh. To me, to me, that was a that made it more worthwhile because at least even though you know it was ultimately extremely self-serving because Morrison has more plans for for these this universe and these characters in it, the reality is that it's not it does it's not like oh it's a like I said before it's a dream it's not a dream oh it's kind of like it's not like Hal doing the Thanos snap and then take getting the gauntlet back and just completely unsnapping it to back where things were before the first snap. It's not like that. It adds a little substance to that, to the the concept of why we had it. And also, I think he, Hal is kind of Hal-like in this, in the, and I think in this arc, Hal, you know, so for a lot of people who haven't necessarily liked Morrison's take on Hal overall, I think there certainly are some strong homages to the classic Hal that we know and things that he would do. And even when he comments about how basically that uh the relationship with the guardians you know that the guardian that the way he the way the way he the way he operates and you know almost like having that uh a, a weird symbiotic relationship and a in a you know they and they grudgingly respect each other because of the fact that they both they, they both he he knows the guardians serve a purpose and they also know that he that his natural <laughs> aversion to authority serves a purpose too for them even even to further their goals that it serves a purpose yeah so i found it uh the preview pages i think the first six pages of green lantern season two issue one are out and they're on dccomics.com um after a ceremony or whatever, you know, praising Hal Jordan for his work in this 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 uh, miniseries here, uh, essentially the Guardians will end up waking up Hal Jordan and and saying, "Hey, the time has come. A new reality dawns, and we elders must depart." Um, uh, we, we, uh, 
So a great rebirth is imminent. The cosmic grail has awoken and summons us to fulfill our destiny laid down since the days of Krona. We depart to fight the ultra war, a conflict shadowed here below as, uh, as the multi-crisis and Howell says, but the cosmic girl was a sham. It wasn't real. And they say, this is a new reality. The sham is what is real. The stone that was discarded is the new foundation. And that's where the, the, the preview sort of ends. Um, but these guardians are departing our universe to go take on a threat. And that it sounds like because he built a reality in uh, on Earth 15 in this miniseries, all the stuff with the Cosmic Grail is no longer a sham. It is reality now. So that's what I'm gaining from that. And in, in that way, I think maybe this uh, miniseries will have consequences moving forward is because he has created a new reality uh, that now the Guardians have to go deal with. And it sort of smacks of... It, it sort of smacks of uh, when the Guardians went off to go make Whoopi with his Amarants. Yeah, we're still waiting for those kids to show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now so, would be a good time! So, so there's all that happening, but it's also at the same time, and, and, and maybe this is something more better left for when we actually review that issue when it comes out, but it also sort of makes me think, like, we just got these Guardians. <laughs> like, we're going to we're gonna throw them off in search of some new ones? What's happening here? So... But uh, yeah, the, I, I, I only I only read that. Uh, I typically try not to read the review panels for issues that haven't even come out yet uh, on air because of you know potential spoilers and people may not want to know. But I, I figured I'd bring it up since it's only the first couple of pages. It doesn't really tell you a whole lot, but at least sets up that there is some consequences moving into season two from these three issues. So at least it's good to see that in a less obvious way. Um, especially with the revelation that he created a reality here. So that's interesting, and that's something that's uh, an, uh, a cool way to go. But otherwise, yeah, I just, uh, w- when I read this this miniseries, I just think, you know, we could have got three issues of actual Green Lantern story. Um, but I'm not going, uh, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying my best to not judge it for what it's not and just judge it for what it is, so... And if I were to judge it for what it is, like I said, the art does very well. The story is is pretty solid uh, for a three issue mini, so uh, I can't I can't give it too many demerits there. It's just I would have rather had something else. What if, what if those uh, young guardians that we're getting? What if they actually were the the offspring of the Zamorans and the? Uh... I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. I, 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 I was thinking that as I was saying it, it's like a, it's Morrison, right? It would and it would and it would and it would make sense if just from the perspective that the Guardians that we know that really don't look anything like the Guardians we know because they look completely uniformed again. We don't you Raimi and Gant that you can't you know if they're there you don't even know who the hell they are that and Sade and things like that. Uh, but the reality is if they're leaving and new Guardians are taking their place so they're not being kind of like tra- being morphed again. Then it's like, well, yeah, that would kind of make that would be an that would be an easy opening, and, and plus you could make the the excuse why they would be, depending on their aging process, that they could be like at least hip hip, hip young teenage guardians. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. Guess we'll find out soon enough. For sure. All right, what else we got? 
Uh, did you want to do Jim's email, or did you not do enough research to, to be able to st- stab him or through it? I, I didn't do enough research, but I don't want to put it off anymore. I did do more research than I had done, so I say well, let's go for it. Okay, so I do have that his email open again. So let's go back to Jim's question, and we'll we'll at least give some some answers. I, I had some brief little notes uh, when we actually did the the rest of this email when we did the movie preview issue episode, I should say. Uh, but I didn't I didn't write down a whole lot of detail, and I still didn't, but I have stuff in my head. So the question was, if you were in charge of re- rebooting some movie or franchise, it could be a hard or soft reboot, what do you pick and who do you cast? And to me, the casting of these things is always shakier probably than the concept. Um, so you, what do you have? Um... <laughs> So there was a series of kids movies, and I think I think kids movies might be easier to reboot than a uh, an established sort of franchise that maybe more uh, teens or adults uh, were watching at the time because uh, it, it may be a little easier, or maybe a, any changes made might be a better pill to swallow. But there was one I really liked as a kid called Prehysteria. Ah, yes, you do you do wax poetic about that. And prehysteria, for those of you who don't know, were about these kids who find these little eggs, and the little eggs hatch a tiny tyrannosaur, a tiny stegosaurus, a tiny triceratops, a tiny brontosaurus, and a tiny pterodactyl. Uh, and they name them like, uh, you know, uh, Elvis and uh, uh, Janet, I think, is one of them, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, but anyways, uh, and it's just this sort of kids movie and you kind of, you can kind of think of it like there's this, there's this evil guy, this, this guy who's like trying to get after the little dinosaurs to make a profit off of them and sell them to a museum and, and that whole thing. So you can sort of do a, you know, plug any pot currently popular child actor into X role here. Um, there's a boy, and then there's his older sister. I think the boy. Uh, I really like uh, Jack Dylan Grazer or Grazer. Uh, he was, for those of you who don't know, he was Freddy from Shazam, the Shazam movie. Uh, I really like him. I think he could be. Uh, I think he could be good. Uh, sort of like a you know slightly slightly older sort of kid, a little bit whimsical. Uh, you know, still getting excited, you know, from um, finding a bunch of little dinosaurs. And I know she's older. I think she's like in her mid twenties now, but she can play younger. Is uh, Dove Cameron? Yes. Uh, she could be his older sister. The father, I, their father, I believe, was uh, a single dad. I believe he w- he could be he he's a toss up. He could be played by a comedian, and he could be pe- played by. A more serious type, I would say, like a Paul Rudd, uh, maybe could be cool. And I don't know who the villain could be played by, like the sleazy guy trying to get these dinosaurs to sell to a museum or whatever. But you know, it could be almost anybody. Uh, it's not really that important of the role. He also has two little uh, sort of random henchmen. Uh, you know, that henchmen are always a dime a dozen, so throwing them in there, it's not like they need to be uh, cast. Um, I wonder if it would be cool to have like, because there wasn't a whole lot of substance to those prehysteria films in terms of actual plot or or anything like that. 
So I wonder if there'd be a, you could almost go Toy Story with it, where like, uh, and, and not that you're spending a whole lot of time with the dinosaurs like this as you do, do with the toys, but like, you know, when, when we're not focusing on the human characters, we have the, uh, the, uh, or you could do it like a, uh, probably a better example, Secret Life of Pets. You know, uh, the humans can't understand what they're saying, sort of a thing, but they do have, they, they, they communicate with each other and, and, and the, the, the dinosaurs are, have voice cast. Um, that, that could be cool. Um, just to sort of lean into, lean into that. Um, I had another idea, but I don't have any, any sort of fleshing out to it. Dinotopia doing Dinotopia again because all Dinotopia has only ever been made into like these cheap uh, t- made for TV films I want to see like a like a and it, I don't know if that it has to be a, a trilogy uh, it, but it could be two movies maybe a like big budget Dinotopia uh, and for those of you who never read the book uh, Dinotopia as a kid first of all shame on you uh, and second of all, it was this really cool, intricate world where these two brothers were shipwrecked on essentially an island lost to time where the dinosaurs never went as extinct and we evolved along with them. And like they became not 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 just um, I don't want to say pets, but uh, some of them could be like. Uh, Almost like guide dogs. Other of them just think of them just like members of society. Like when you're walking around on, in, in a Doctor Who episode of, with random aliens on the planet, think of that. Just think of dinosaurs as who have jobs and as citizens. They don't speak. There's like one or two dinosaurs who can speak the human language, maybe, but uh, otherwise they just communicate by using. Um, they all have you know uh, dinosaur prints, you know paw prints. Um, and you know, the, they have an alphabet based on like, Hey, one print facing up, one print facing down above each other. That's, that's a B or whatever. They have an alphabet and they can communicate with the humans in in that way and their, their intellect. But it's just like, what if, what if society evolved alongside dinosaurs? And I thought that was always such a cool concept. The artists who did the Dinotopia books always had these really cool designs, um, you know, the world was so intricate and just unique. I, I just think Dinotopia would be just an amazing thing to see on a big budget film. Um, but uh, for specifically addressing Jim's question in, in terms of fleshing out a cast, uh, at least somewhat, uh, Prehysteria is as a kid's movie would be would be my thing. I'm pretty sure there were three Prehysteria movies. Um I think the second one took place on a mini golf course, just to kind of give you an idea of the sort of lack of substance overall that those had, you know, hindsight being 2020. Um, but I still remember those fondly. So it's a good choice. Plus it has strong ties to your, to your childhood. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like Bill and Ted, but I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to, I don't want to reboot that. Well, you might not have to, depending on where things are. They could just continue, just continue with the girls, but but then again, that would mean as much. That would not mean as much to you. I mean, it, it might. It depends on how good the third movie is. I'm I'm open for anything, man. You heard it here first, folks. Chad's easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the first time we've heard it here, actually. 
been ten years, guys. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be like you'll be like Eddie Murphy in Forty Eight Hours with that line to Nick Nolte, like I've been in prison, man. My dick gets hard when the wind blows. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going that far with it. I was referring to 10 years since I've had a serious relationship. Uh, I know. But, if you want to okay. edit that out, that's fine. But, that, but it was a mute. <laughs> but that, but it, something else we talked about one time reminded me of that line. And it's like, that's why it just popped back into my head. Uh, I had a bunch, I had a bunch of different franchises written down. Uh, but fleshing stuff out was harder for me about where I would go. Like, I, I have strong attachments to, Friday the 13th. Halloween, because of what they're doing now, I don't really know how you would be able to do it. Because uh, you, you, you would never want to start over and just do a remake because, God, you, I, even even though I don't think it could ever be as horrible as the, as the Rob Zombie remake, the point is, why? It's like remaking Jaws. It's like, so I, I don't see how... I don't see how that would work. Uh, Friday the 13th, obviously, is more doable, but it's make coming up with some something to make it unique, because we're really not in the time of slashers anymore. Uh, I mean, the Friday the 13th remake they did in 2009 was pretty much a Friday the 13th movie. It really it essentially was, trying to do a modern Friday the 13th movie, and it really didn't do well, other than the first weekend. So, And, I, you know, I had start, I, mean, I thought about Alien, but Alien's been watered down. The only thing I would, I would, the only thing I would do with Alien right now, if I was in, if I was part of Disney, is that I would at least, I would let Ridley Scott have one more prequel, with the with the caveat of okay, this is the last one. You have to tie it into that ship on LV four two six now. <laughs> it's like you've 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 kind of meandered and wandered off a little bit too much on the whole David thing, even though now we know where the by doing that we have a we have a true origin of the species. But the point is, yeah, you have one more, you have one more prequel. You got to tie the events of where you left off uh, in uh, Covenant and uh, tie it into the beginning of the actual first Alien movie. But what I would do, I guess, because it's in a way, it may be a no-brainer, just because of the fact that this was a franchise that was so important to me, and now it means so little to me, other than the TV shows that they're kind of talking about. Star Wars, so it would obviously not be a real reboot because you would never go back and you'd, ne- you'd never, nor should they ever think about remaking, you know, episodes any of the any of the episodes, including sad. And I say that even with the the sequels that they just did, it's like this is what it is. I mean, you can try to, you can retcon some stuff in it and and give us more, lift the veil and show us things we didn't see, but you can't just pretend it didn't happen and or remake them because nobody wants that. You think people are unhappy now? Try to remake episodes four through six and see how people would. So what I would, so what I would do with Star Wars is I would start fleshing out a lot of the other periods in Star Wars, the other characters that are important in Star Wars. That even even if the majority of stuff we've read about them were in Legends material, but technically they're still canon, depending on which character we're talking about. So the, what I would, what I gravitate towards, which I've mentioned before on this, is the Darth Bane story. Darth Bane, who on so many levels was, he's kind of, well, he was what we, in my opinion, I always had a Luke analogy to him based on what we thought Luke was going to be, which was the last of the old Jedi and the first of the new. But Luke never turned out to really be that. Uh, so that analogy really doesn't hold anymore. 
But that's essentially what Darth Bane was, as he was the last of the old Sith Lords when Sith Lords were plentiful, a dime a dozen. He was the one who realized that the Sith were their own worst enemy, and as long as the Sith were plentiful, they were never going to, to succeed, and they were never going to, to beat the Jedi, because the infighting alone amongst the Sith would always prevent them from ever succeeding. So he's the one who wiped out all the... with his mind bomb, wiped out all the old Sith, created the rule of two, so he was the first Dark Lord of the Sith. And he also brought back the title of Darth, which at the time, Sith Lords had kind of moved away from. It was a traditional title, but the Sith had been so watered down that they didn't think it was necessary anymore to do that. But he's the one who, but he chose to bring that back for himself, and thus carrying it forward with all his all the Dark Lords of the Sith. So, so uh, when it comes to Sith, Darth Bane is essentially how when people treat... Uh, trace the heavyweight championship to what John L. Sullivan, and they go, you know, this guy beat the man, to beat the man, to beat the man, dot, 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 to beat John L. Sullivan. It's kind of like that way with Sith Lords, that, you know, this is the Sith Lord that followed the Sith Lord that followed the Sith Lord, dot, 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 that followed Darth Bane. And Darth Bane and his, the first, basically the second Lord of the Sith, uh, being Darth Xana, who was his apprentice. And that story was told in the Drew Carpeshian trilogy, which I still maintain is the best Star Wars stuff I've ever writ ever read. I think it's better than the Timothy Zahn Heir to the Empire uh, Dark Force Rising trilogy. And there's other things I've read I've liked, but I think the Darth, especially considering the character, was not somebody who you'd naturally should be interested in because he's technically he's he's a complicated, deep c character. But you know he's a Sith Lord. We shouldn't we shouldn't really be rooting for this guy. But yet, he's a very compelling character. So I think that would be a project, whether they do it as a, whether they did it as an ongoing Disney Plus series, or whether they did it as a series of uh, three movies. That's what I think they sh think they think they. I would want. I would like to oversee that. I would like to make a Darth Bane project, Star Wars project. Uh, that'd be my passion project in Star Wars. Who to cast? That's shaky. If you want to look at somebody who's probably who certainly can act and kind of looks looks the role, Mark Strong would fill the bill. Now, if you if you go if you really want to go if you want to go like bulked up, you know, because because he was because he he had a clean clean shaven head too. Certainly is uh, during the majority of the time. Uh, I guess it's always there's always a role for the Rock. So uh, <laughs> you got that. Casting Darth Xana. If you want, if there's ever a role to stick Brie Larson in because she kind of looks like it, and plus she's not playing a good guy, so it, it would make a lot of people happy. I could. Are see, you saying Brie Larson can naturally play cold and emotional? Yes, yes, yeah, I know, <laughs> stunning, right? Uh, so she could do that, but I like Vanessa Hudgens so much, even though Darth Xana is mostly blonde. I, I would, I would almost rather see her in that role because. Because Vanessa Hudgens has shown in, in the she hasn't done a lot of action movies, but she but she was on my mind anyway because of ba because of Bad Boys for Life because she's part one of the characters that's in that team that they end up putting together or was put together that uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith end up technically be in, joining up with that along with Sucker Punches she's shown she's really good actually I think and being believable in, in action sequences so I don't have much doubt that you know she. She'd be pretty good, you know, as a wielding a lightsaber. So, but that I would always recommend reading those books. Uh, what about what's her name? Because uh, speaking of Fast Nine, the Dom's girlfriend. Not for that role. I don't see her in that oh. role at all. Um, but I, but 
generally speaking, yeah, she certainly Michelle Rodriguez could certainly play. That's her name. Thank you. She certainly could play uh, a, a role, but I think, but it's an interesting trilogy. So as a source material, that, and even if you just loosely based it on it, and but just just the idea that just the mere fact that you have the first bat the first battle of succession of Sith Lords, the first of how, because it's not something that we've actually, when you think about it in the movies, in any of the episodes, we've never actually seen that, where we've never seen really Sith Lord versus Sith Lord with one beating the other and one taking over. We've never really seen that, but yet that's the whole premise of the rule of two, is that at some point, the master and the apprentice are going to go at it, and if the apprentice is good enough, then the apprentice becomes the master. If they're not, then the master gets a new apprentice. That's what the whole rule of two is about. So we've never really seen that. Uh, so it would be interesting seeing the whole birth of, of a, an apprentice. It, so it's kind of like it's kind of like the Anakin Obi Wan relationship in a way. If we had seen Anakin and Obi Wan from the very beginning of their master apprentice relationship, which we didn't, because that was a nine that was a ten year gap between Episode one and Episode two. But I think it would be interesting just seeing that. Plus it was. Plus the way the trilogy handled it, it was cool because you had a battle between like the raw power of the Sith and Sith sorcery, since that's what Darth Bane has to rely on at the end, because his because his body is starting to fail. So the only his only chance of beating her when they fight is, is to try to take over her body, which I guess is kind of alluding to almost like what what Palpatine was talking about with Sith with Sith sorcery, the ability to be able to take your essence at the and be and transferred into another body. That there was the idea that that was that was the the and it was such an interesting battle without get without go, go, giving too many more any real spoil 100% spoilers. It was such an inch it was such an interesting conclusion to the battle that that Drew on his website had to eventually post something to clarify the ending because the ending was so interesting and open to interpretation. The way it read on the page, it was a lot more open to interpretation. Who actually won? than he wanted it to be. So he actually had to go on his website to clarify this is in case there's any doubt, this is how I this was the outcome of that fight and this is the reason why this was in the in that scene too to show this. But so but I would so I would definitely recommend while this is we're talking, you know, as a source material, just because I think they will do something with Darth Bane. I think at some point they're going to because Darth Bane is a is canon he was in the Clone War show when, at, at the end of the last season that they did, when Yoda was starting to learn, take his first steps towards the journey of being able to master becoming one with the Force and holding on to your essence after death. That one of the visions of Sith lords that he faced when he went to the Sith homeworld was uh, <clears throat> was Darth Bane. So Darth Bane is absolutely canon as uh, you know the, the the originator of the Rule of Two. So I would like to see that. I think it'd be a cool story. Different stories in that vein, going back to uh, the, the the old Republic era, and I think I think those would be. Th- and, but picking different periods in Star Wars, and you can introduce new characters. You know, eventually you would want to introduce new characters post the events of Episode Nine. But you have to have obviously what we've learned from this trilogy is you need a friggin' plan. So that's not something you jump into. Half-ass. You need a, you know, you need a plan for that. So I would focus on filling in gaps, especially in old Republic stuff, where you have a, in pre-old, you know, where you have more leeway 
and more more um, opportunities where people are tied to they're not tied to existing characters, so you don't have to worry about living up to expectations as much. I think. Plus, plus you just have the the visual of having all these Jedi and all those Sith would still would still be there, especially like in the beginning of the story, and I think it would be cool. But that's that's that was the main thing that I had written down. For sure. So I have all these movies uh, digitally on Vudu uh, that I've and I've got a ton of them. But I also have a bunch I've never seen, um, like uh, the Man Who Killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot with Sam Elliott. <laughs> I've or, always wanted to watch that movie. Uh, or Overlord or The Meg or Quiet Place, Red Sparrow, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, you know, these the, the Hateful Eight, Thirteen Hours, Southpaw. You know, all these things. Um, but I think since you mentioned it earlier, I have Alien and Aliens on here. Directors, they are, director's cut or the or the original? Um, let's choose sort it by alphabetical so I can double check. Uh, Alien, theatrical, Aliens, theatrical. Okay, which is still fine. They're both. So uh, maybe by like by Halloween, I'll have watched both of those. That's cool. Since you mentioned Alien. Then hey, if you do that, <laughs> then maybe we can get you to watch Prometheus. And since we still never did a commentary track for Prometheus, then maybe you, Cora, and I can do a three-person commentary track. I don't think we've done that yet. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, uh, and by the way, because uh, you had mentioned it, and I think we were talking about it on an episode. Uh, let me pull it up. Did you know that they are releasing, or they, it was this week actually? They released a. Um, Blu-ray two-pack of Halloween and then the new Halloween movie. The original Halloween tw- and then... 2018 together? Yes, 2018 together. I'm trying to see that so, on Amazon. I'm trying to... Yeah, here it is. Halloween two-movie collection Blu-ray. Uh, it is the 1978 and the 2018. I went uh, to uh, Best Buy before I went to Walmart tonight to go see if it was there. Uh, and it's not, but it was supposed to come out on uh, on the fourth, yesterday. Yeah, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see that listed. Um, it's 18.99 on Amazon. You have the link. Shoot me the link. Okay, let me share this over to Facebook Messenger. Well, you can do it in here if you want. Uh, it's I'm, I'm looking at it on my phone. Oh, okay, that's fine. Let me just. I, okay, I still have Facebook open anyway, so it's not an issue. But uh, yeah, I, I saw I saw it, and uh, I was like, "Oh, that's an easy way to accomplish what I told you I was going to do." Um, yeah. Any special? A- yeah. What's, what's any special feature? Yeah, they have some bonus features. Let's see if I can read what it says. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. Because honestly, this, the sad part is Halloween 2018 had almost had had very little in special features on it. Um, hey, you actually get you get the audio commentary with Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. So that's not. Oh, that's pretty. That isn't bad because you know what it com- It has. It has t- Let's see. It is rated R, right? Because it has the TV. Oh, it's bo- yes. The bonus features include the TV version footage, which is re- which is really important. Which, when you watch the movie, it's relevant because it's footage that it's footage that was shot 
by Carpenter when they were making Halloween 2 because Halloween was sold to NBC. And I think they only played it once. It was like on their Friday night event thing. They played it on primetime on, on, on Friday right before, so it had to be 1981, right before Halloween 2 came out. Or right around the time Halloween 2 came out. And Halloween by itself is a pretty short movie. It's like about an hour and a half. So they didn't have enough, even with commercials. Nowadays, of course, it's a joke because they were just adding a thousand more commercials. But they, based on the way they did things, certainly back then, they didn't have enough uh, com- foot, enough real movie to fit into a two-hour slot. So Carpenter went back and he filmed additional scenes. So some of the scenes they filmed included the kid who ended up playing Michael Myers. When uh, I forget how old, I think how how old he was supposed to be, like eight or ten or something, but he was at Smith's Grove. But he was in. He features in dream sequences in Halloween too, for for Jamie Lee Curtis. That they use, they film scenes with him to go put into the the TV version of Halloween, along with scenes of you know Doctor Loomis pleading his case about uh how dangerous Michael was when Michael was younger and things like that. So that footage is that footage is cool because actually that's where you get Michael Myers' middle name. Michael Myers, his his middle name is actually read in that hearing, and that's where. It, which is just a little quirk because when they did Halloween 4, the writer uh, of Halloween 4, when they, they, have, they have somebody typing out the paperwork for Michael Myers, and they said, like, Michael M. Myers, but it's Michael A. Myers because of his middle, his middle name is announced. So it's one of those quirky little things that becomes history. But, yeah, that would be cool. If you, for someone who's never seen the original Halloween, yeah, you should have the original Halloween, and and while I think the original Halloween too would be well, bad. I mean, I, I saw I saw the original Halloween for the first time this past Halloween. I told you that. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, you're right. Because, you did. Yeah, because because I've are only seen that. Uh, you know, I I would be in the unique position to be able to not know what happened in Halloween two or any of the other ones and see if the 2018 movie holds up as a legitimate sequel. Right. Yeah, That would be really interesting to get your take on it, especially since you've never seen any of the others, to see how you feel Halloween 2018 works as a companion piece without having any mixed feelings because of the fact that you've seen, like, three different timelines and <laughs> now get wiped out with this fourth. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw that announced on – because I, I go to the Blu-ray website and look at the release calendar and, and make my choices about what's coming up. As uh, Actually, I think next Tuesday, uh, the Swamp Thing TV series uh, that uh, the DC Universe app did uh, comes out on Blu-ray. And I finally watched and finished Doom Patrol, so um, I'm ready for Swamp Thing. But anyways – um, yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up. So that, but, that, uh, yeah, that is pretty cool. I saw, actually, I saw the, uh, speaking of Saw, that they had the complete Saw. Actually, I think, no, it wasn't really complete. I think it's, I think it's only one through seven, which means it does not, would not have Jigsaw in it. But I, there was a Blu-ray set, even one through seven, that was, that was, that was pretty cheap. And I actually was looking at Final Destination. Final Destination 2, because at least I don't own any of those. It's hard to justify me getting Saw, because the only two I don't own are Final Chapter 3D and uh, Jigsaw. So I have all the others on DVD, so it's, I can't, it's hard for me to justify getting, you know, getting, another, getting a box set unless they're going to have a crap ton of extras that you never had before. And, my, and, all, and almost all of mine are unrated, too, so it's, they're the better ones to have. I think the next 
uh, set of movies I'm going to get on Blu-ray, like a box set, is going to be the Resident Evil stuff because I think Resident Evil's probably done at this point. Actually, I, I didn't. I don't. I thought they were doing another one. Yeah. It might be a re. I don't, it might be a reboot though, or something. I thought for some reason I for some reason I thought I thought they might be unless it's just a game. Maybe it's the game. It could be a game. I know. I know that from a movie perspective, they're doing another. They're going to do another Silent Hill, which. It's kind of funny. I watched the second Silent Hill movie, which I had seen in the theater, but I forgot that Kit Harrington was in it because nobody knew who Kit Harrington was at the time. <laughs> I'm just waiting for a new Underworld movie because yeah. Blood Wars left left off on a very obvious cliffhanger. So, well, Kate Beckinsale doesn't really do much these days, so yeah. there's it's probably a strong possibility that at some point that you know. All right. All right. You want to tell people how they can reach us? Sure. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com the website is lanterncast.com <clears throat> excuse me uh, you can follow us on twitter and like us on facebook hashtag glcast to locate us on either of those uh, we are on apple podcasts spotify and stitcher and make chad make chad not chad not brad chad <laughs> that's that, that's your nickname for today hey, chad chad <laughs> park the car with the chad uh that uh, Spotify's. He wants everyone in the world to listen to us on Spotify. Make Chad happy. Uh, last but not least, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 708 Lantern is the voicemail, and let us know what you think. That's right. Uh, so uh, as as we record this, this past Friday, I uh, someone invited me onto their show to talk about their subject matter, which is the TV show Community. Uh, I have said quite a bit that I love the TV show community. I have all the pops for it. You know, I've got the Blu-ray box set, you know, all this stuff. I really, it's one of those shows I watch and rewatch and re-rewatch and all of this. Uh, someone finally started a podcast about it. It was called Fluffy Town and, uh, the, uh, the uh, podcaster, her name is Yamina. Uh, and Yamina invited me on. I've been supporting her since day one. She invited me on recently to talk about, I think, episode 16 of season one of community uh and we had a really good discussion uh since we're recording all these uh, lantern cast episodes in advance she said uh the episode should be coming out uh sometime around uh, uh mid-february something like that so uh or, or mid to end of february so i would recommend guys if uh if you're hearing this go check out fluffy town and see if that episode is up yet or if not i would recommend uh, checking it out very soon because I would say just looking at the calendar, it should be out either by the time you guys hear this or like a week after uh, this comes out. So uh, if you're if you're interested in that, I, I saved it to the very end because it's not about comics or anything like that. It's just I have other passions outside of comics, and uh, someone invited me to to podcast and talk about something, so I I jumped on that opportunity. So if you're interested, the Fluffy Town podcast. Um, that should be coming out relatively soon, if it's not out already. Hashtag the year of Chad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Emerald oh, uh, <laughs> City Comic Con, baby. Boy! <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>